ready. Well, let's, let's stand and worship together. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was
Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Faith Family Fellowship. I'm glad you all have chosen to join us here this morning. My name is Matthew. I'd like to extend a welcome to you. If you're a visitor with us this morning, there should be a card in the pew right in front of you. If you would, take that and uh, fill that out for us and drop that in the offering basket on your way out this morning. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And so we have a, we have a privilege this morning uh, with having one of our International Mission Board missionaries filling the pulpit for us and, uh, and preaching from Reve- Revelation, Romans 12, excuse me. Uh, so Lee Harper, uh, who is currently, him and his family are stationed in Belgium and are here with us staying on campus for a few months uh, of respite and time away uh, before returning to the field. And so he will be with us sharing from Scripture uh, this morning. And so we have uh, that privilege to see, uh, to hear from him, hear the Lord's word, and also uh, to hear what the Lord is doing uh, there and in, in their lives. And so uh, we prayerfully will pray here just, a, just in a moment uh, for him in that time and also for our time together. And so we've been memorizing scripture. We've been memorizing Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. And so let's, let's look at that again this morning. Uh, for this month, we are we're sailing through August. And so uh, we will be wrapping these two verses up really, really soon. And so if you would join me in reciting out loud these verses. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Ephesians 1 seven and eight the riches of his grace so god did not forgive in christ the in him is jesus christ we have redemption in christ not because of a merit not because of something we deserve and it's not in accordance with a certain quantity of of character caliber of person but it is out of his riches the boundless, copious grace of our Lord Jesus. The forgiveness that God issues through Christ is dependent upon Christ. His grace is limitless. His mercy is limitless. Therefore, his forgiveness is complete. For those who are in Christ, our forgiveness from sin in him is not limited it is not to a certain amount and then it's done but his grace is infinite and his grace is dependent upon him not us and so what hope do we have if we are in christ what hope do we have that we will finish the finish line that we'll make it to the finish line we will end the race and we will one day stand before him right and accepted Is it from the riches of our ability and our obedience? No. It is the riches of his grace, the grace of Christ. So let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we stand right. If we are part of your people, we are saved by your grace. If we have repented of our sin and turned from it to trust in Christ and in Christ alone, that we stand before you right because of him. Because of the riches of his grace, not what we deserve, not our ability and our long-sufferingness and our ability to, 
to obey every, everything, but it is in Christ because of Him, because of the riches of Your grace. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for Your grace. And God, may we not take that as permission to do as we will. But Lord, may we rightly understand the grace that you have given as life-changing. That it changes who we are and what we do. It changes our desire so that we desire, we desire to live and do in keeping with the gospel we've received. To please you, to glorify you, and to know you. And so, Father, Lord, would you lead us this morning? May we hear from you in your word. May, Lord, you draw us to to conviction of sin and selfishness, that, Lord, you would lead us in repentance this morning. If there are things that need to be be removed and laid before you, that, God, you you would lead us there. That, God, you would restore your people this morning in these riches of your grace. And God, would you, would you draw us, Lord, this morning to see clearly you that, that, Father, we would leave here this gathering to walk in faith, to live the rest of our day and week, Lord, trusting fully in your Son. That it's the riches of his grace that has justified us and in which we live, the hope we look forward to. And so, Father, would you be with us this morning? Lead and guide us and be glorified, Lord, this morning. Would you be with Lee, Lord? Would you fill him with your spirit, your word, that God, Lord, you would challenge us from your scripture. You would correct and direct and draw us to see who you are and what you've done. That we would see you high, exalted as you truly are. And that, Lord, we would we would recognize your transformative grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, asking these things. Amen. There we go. Let's stand as we continue in worship. His praises one day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he the word became flesh and the light shined among us Glory revealed, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, and rising he justified, free me forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day.
Good enough. 
could fathom such boundless grace. The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The sent your son to save us 
to pay for our sins, to be the sacrifice. Lord, that we could be called children. Father, thank you. Lord, help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to forget the cost. And Lord, help us not to forget that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. So Father, as we come to a time of reading scripture, Lord, a time of teaching, I pray that you prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, help us to be focused and attentive, and God, help us to leave this building changed. Lord, I pray that you give Lee the words that he needs to share. God, thank you for this day. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Like Matthew said, my family, we are missionaries in Ghent, Belgium, me along with my wife, Laura Ashley, and our two kids, Holland Grace and James. And we've been there about three and a half years and are back in the States for six months and we're to connect with local churches, to see family, and to just be rejuvenated after a long three and a half years. But this morning, I just want to start just by saying thank you to you guys. First, thank you so much for the mission house that you've allowed us to stay in. It's been such a blessing to our family as we've traveled from place to place, visiting churches and other families. um, It's always been a place that we could come back to and find rest. And we know that there was a lot of of work and effort put into the, the house recently, and we can see, and we're so, so thankful for it. And I know that's been a blessing to us And it will continue to be a blessing to other missionaries who come through. So thank you so much. Second, thank you is to say thank you so much for your sacrificial giving over the years. It's only through your giving to things like the cooperative program, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year, that we're able to be in Belgium. That we can go and share the gospel and make disciples and hopefully see churches planted in our city. We're able to do that because of churches like Faith Family. Other churches like my family and others are sacrificially giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that we are not worried about the next check, the next support check coming in. We know that because of your giving that we can focus on the work that's ahead of us in Ghent. So thank you so, so much for your giving to the Lottie Moon and to the IMB in many ways. Now, if you're like me, you probably never heard of Ghent, Belgium until earlier this service. So when we began looking at places to go, 
recipient popped up on the screen, and I had never heard of it before. So I just want to let you know a little bit about our city and the context that we are serving in, and then we'll hop into God's word. So Ghent is a city of about 300,000 people and 80,000 university students in the Dutch-speaking part of Belgium. So in Belgium, there are three languages, Dutch, French, and German, and we work in Dutch. And among Dutch-Belgian, Dutch-speaking Belgians, there's about about 0.4% of the population are evangelical Christians. So 0.4, not 4%, 0.4% of the population are evangelical Christians. So there is a great need for the gospel in Belgium. Often we think of Europe as a place where the Christianity has been and has flourished. But brothers and sisters, Christianity among, in Western Europe is dying, if not already dead. And that's true in Belgium. Historically, it was a, a Catholic country, but the Catholic church is, is still there, but is, is dead. The churches are empty. Um, the buildings are now museums, are like in our city. A uh, formal church is now turning into a grocery store. And so we see the Catholic Church disappearing off the stage into making Belgium one of the most secular countries in all the world. In fact, recently a study was done among among Belgians that found that 70% of Belgians have a hostile attitude, attitude toward religion. 70%, almost three quarters of the population of Belgium have a hostile attitude to our faith. And that's part that's mostly due to past actions in the church and past hurt that has been caused and the, lack of, and the church not being who God called it to be. So we are in the midst of a, a very secular city, a beautiful city, but a city that is spiritually dark. And in our three and a half years of living there, we've learned a whole bunch. We've learned a language, we've learned things about ourselves, we We've learned things about culture, but I think one of the things that is constantly on our mind that we've learned, been reminded of over and over and over again is not something that's new, but something that's old. And that thing that we've been, we've been taught and reminded of is the importance for us as followers of Jesus just to every day live faithful lives devoted to Jesus, to faithfully follow Jesus every day in community. In a world that's getting secular, more secular every single day, one of the most important things that we can do is that, to live faithfully, to follow Jesus every single day. And it is in that faithfully following Jesus every day with other believers that we begin to see the faith that we believe become attractive to others. As we go out and share the gospel in Belgium, the thing that, that people are most attracted to about Christianity is community. They want community. They want to be in a place where they are loved, where they can live life with other people. And so we, as we pray, as we seek and serve in Belgium, that's what we are trying to do is just to be faithful Christians living in community in a dark place. But it's not just in Belgium where that's attractive. That is what the world needs all over the place. We, the world needs more than anything else us as followers of Jesus, to faithfully follow Jesus every day together. And as we do that, we are a great light to the truth of the gospel. Now the problem is, is in our, in our natural thinking and within many churches, we believe that what's going to attract people to the gospel, to Jesus, are things like big events. 
are things like having the best music in church or having unbelievable expository preaching in our church. And those things are wonderful and great and things that we need in the church. But if we have those things and if we're not actively living out our Christian faith in community every day, we are going to miss out on the joy of bringing more and more people to faith in Jesus and then seeing them come to Jesus. It's not the things, it's not these big events, it's not things like this, it's not even our intellect or our apologetic ability that's going to bring people to Christ. It is us faithfully living out the gospel, living a faithful life to Jesus in community every day. Now, don't get me wrong, we, we must, we must proclaim the gospel. We must have a deep understanding of the gospel for people to, un, to trust in Jesus. But if we are proclaiming the gospel to people who haven't trusted in Jesus, and our lives don't live out, if we don't live out the implications of that, we are not being the people we're called to be. And like I said, this, is, this idea of living this faithful Christian life in community is nothing new. But it's just as important now as it was when Paul writes the book of Romans. See, in the book of Romans, for the first 11 chapters, Paul has been explaining the beauties of the gospel to the church in Rome. He's making sure that they understand the gospel and its implications for their community. And here in chapter 12 is a transition point. Paul is going from laying out the gospel and its implications to showing this is what it looks like to live out the gospel. And he does this by making an appeal to the church in Rome. And it's an appeal to us. It's my appeal to you this morning. And that appeal is to live faithfully, to follow Jesus every day, and community. So let's look at what Paul says in these verses to the church in Rome and also to us to see how he challenges us to live out this faithful Christian life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. So Paul, writing to the church in Rome, is appealing to them. He's urging them to do this. He's urging them to live the faithful Christian life. But before he gets into commands, before he gets to start telling the church what's to do, he wants to address the motivation for obedience. He wants to address why they should do the things he's about to do. And so he says there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of of God. See, the faithful follower of Jesus lives a life of obedience that is motivated by gratitude. Gratitude for the mercies that God has shown us through Jesus. Our obedience, our life that's living for Christ is not to be motivated by some hope that if we're good enough that God will love us more, that God will accept us more, that God will bless our lives more. If I'm just obedient, then my life will be good. No, our motivation as followers of Jesus for the obedient life is 
gratitude for the mercies of God. Gratitude specifically for what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. This is the foundation of the Christian life. And as many other pastors have said, the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life. It is the A to Z. It is everything. And if we miss this fact that our obedience to Jesus is based on gratitude for what Christ has done for us, then we miss the whole faith. We miss it all. So what has Christ done for us? Let's remind ourselves. This is not new, but we need to remind ourselves of this. The gospel is that we were in our sins. Each one of us has rebelled against God. We have chosen to disobey him. And because of our disobedience, we are separated from God. Not only are we separated from God, but we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's punishment for our rebellion. And that punishment, the Bible tells us, is death. R.C. Sproul says that our sin is treason against the king of the universe, and the punishment for treason is death. And so because of our rebellion, because of our treason against God, we deserve death. And the Bible says we look at our lives, we look at God's word, and we see that there's no way for us to repair this relationship with God. There's no way for us to escape his judgment. We can't do it. You can sit and try all day long to be good enough to obey all God's laws, and you know you can't do it. This is true of adults to kids. Kids, you can try as hard as you can saying, I'm going to obey everything that my mom or dad tells me to do today. I'm going to do it because God tells me to honor my, my parents. So I'm going to do it. And you can try super, super hard. And no matter how hard you try, guess what's going to happen? You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up and you're going to disobey your mom and your dad. You know why? Because you can't do it. You can't be good enough. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to obey them, but you can't do it. Your hearts are sinful, just like all of our hearts. We need rescue, and God knows that. The good news is that God doesn't leave us in our sin, but he sends a rescuer, and that rescuer is Jesus. And Jesus comes and lives a perfect life in our place. He dies on the cross. He takes the punishment that we deserve for our sins on the cross. See, on the cross, the nails and his his wrists and his feet, obviously, unbelievably painful. But probably the most painful part of the cross, what was happening to Jesus on the cross, wasn't the nails in his hand and his wrist, but it was the fact that he was receiving the punishment that we deserve for our sins on the cross. He was receiving God's wrath for our sins on the cross. He was taking hell in our place on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And we know that his His death on the cross was effective that it did what he said it was going to do because he rose from the dead three days later. He rose from the dead securing for us a new life now. Because of his resurrection, brother and sister, we can have new life now. We can live in the spirit. We can walk with him. But also it brings the, the surety that one day we will have new life forever. That Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything new. Just like his body was raised from the dead, everyone who is dead in Christ will rise from the dead again to live in the new heavens and new earth. We have hope because of that. 
This is what Jesus has done. These are the mercies of God. It's because of these mercies that we are to be obedient. You know, for so long growing up in church, I kind of understood the cross and I understood the resurrection. But what I didn't understand was the fact that Jesus also had lived a perfect life in my place. And so because I didn't understand that, I misunderstood a lot about, I misunderstood the gospel. I still thought that I needed to be perfect. I needed to be good enough for God really to love me and accept me. I needed to obey everything that he had done. And so I sat out and I did. I tried to do that. But what I found out is that I, again, failed constantly. And it led me to be angry at God because I had missed the gospel. I had missed these mercies. I had missed that my life was to be lived in response of gratitude instead of trying to earn God's favor that Jesus, God knew I couldn't be good enough, so he sent Jesus to do the work for me. But brother and sister, if that's you today, if you've made that same mistake, I want you to know that Jesus knows that you can't be good enough to earn salvation. You can't earn, be good enough for God to love you and accept you. That's why he came. He comes and gives you his perfect life. He comes and takes the punishment that you deserve, and he gives you a future in Jesus. And it's in light of those mercies that we are called to obey. We are called to obey If you're here today and you haven't trusted, and we receive that salvation, that gospel, by trusting in him, by saying, Jesus, I trust in you. And you haven't done that. You can do that today, and you can experience the gift of these mercies. But if you have trusted in in Jesus, remember that as you seek to obey him, that the motivation is to be gratitude. Gratitude for what he has done for us. So when obedience is hard, Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done for us. For the faithful Christian life, first is to be motivated by by gratitude for the mercies of God. The second thing that Paul tells us, um, the church tells us to do, to tells us as he explains what a faithful Christian life looks like, what he tells us to do is to present our bodies as a sacrifice to God. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This simply means is that we are to give all of our lives to God. Your spiritual life, yes, but also your everyday mundane life. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase, the message. He says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. We're to give every moment of our lives and lay it at Jesus' feet. Lay it at his feet. We're to give him the gospel, the salvation that God gives us is free. It's also costly. It means giving him all of our lives and saying, Lord, I am yours, not just when we want to, but every day. A simple way to do this, a simple way to remind yourself and ask God's help to do that is to a a little prayer. And this is a prayer that my family's been praying for years, and it's simply this. God, please help me to do whatever you tell me to do and go wherever you tell me to go. 
So as you're seeking in the morning, maybe in the morning when you're reading your Bible or you're about to go to work, maybe something that you can do to remind yourself that, okay, if I'm going to faithfully follow Jesus, it means giving him all of my life, is simply just to, to go to God and say, God, today, please help me to do whatever you tell me to do and go wherever you tell me to go. Don't just do this alone. Do it with your spouse. God, please help us to do whatever you tell us to do and to go wherever you tell us to go. Do it with your children. Teach your children to pray this way. Think about the impact that God would have on a generation of people who are laying out their hands in front of him and saying, Jesus, I just want to do whatever you tell me to do and go wherever you tell me to go. Every day, laying down your life as a living sacrifice. Now, I will warn you, this is a dangerous prayer to pray. It is through this prayer that God worked in me and Laura Ashley's heart to lead us to move away from home, to do something that we never thought we would do, to go and be missionaries. So it is a, it's a dangerous prayer if you want to hold on to your life. But it's what we're called to do. And it's not that as you pray this prayer that God's going to lead you somewhere else overseas. It may be that God is going to lead you to the cubicle next door to talk to someone. It may lead you to make other decisions that you wouldn't usually make. But this is what it looks like to live faithfully to Jesus on a daily basis. It's laying our lives before him. And then Paul goes on and he tells us another reason why we're to do this. We're to do this for gra- and gratitude for what he's done for us, but we're also to do this because this is our spiritual worship. Now, what in the world does spiritual worship mean? I mean, isn't worship spiritual? Like, what is going on here? What is Paul talking about here? Well, probably what he, what a, a better translation of what he's saying here is like, he's saying that this is your reasonable service to God. So Paul says, you're to do this because this is your reasonable service to God. Saying this is the reasonable response to what God has done for you and who God is. Giving all of your life is just what you should do because this is just what makes sense in light of the gospel and in light of who God is. Now our world tells us that we we should be the king of our lives and that anyone who tells us what we want to do is wrong is is persecuting us or doing something wrong to us. But as followers of Jesus, what we say is, no, there is someone who knows what's better for me than myself. God knows what's best for me in my life. Let's think about this. God, the creator of the universe, who knit you together in your mother's womb, he, he is the one who you're giving your life to. The God who knows everything, who created all things that exist, who is good and loving and patient, who has a plan for your life, who who tells us that he has a plan where all things work together for good for those who love him. This is the God who you're giving your life to. So when you're giving your life to him, when you're saying, God, here is all of my life, it's not like you're giving your life to a stranger or somebody who you don't trust or somebody who doesn't know you. No, this is you're giving your life to someone who knows you better than anyone else. We think what we know what will make us happy. God truly knows what will make us happy. He truly knows us. And so when we give our lives, this is the only thing that makes sense, is what Paul's saying, is to give him all of our life. So that leaves us with the question, 
Are you giving him all of your life? Are you doing just spiritual worship? Are you doing what is reasonable in light of what he's doing, which is laying down all of your life? Are there things that you're holding on to? Are there things that you're holding on to in your daily life? Are saying, yes, God, here's my life, but please don't ask me to do anything that's going to mess up my comfort. Don't ask me to do anything that's going to make me uncomfortable. God, I will do whatever you want me to do, but just don't let it affect my kids. Don't let it bring hardship in their life or anything else like that. Don't make it make them stick out from the crowd. God, here's all my life, but not my money. Not my reputation. Here's all of my life, but not my sexuality. Here's all of my life, but not my future, not my retirement. What are you holding back from God today? There are things that you think of when you think of that prayer. God, I don't want to do whatever you want me to do or go wherever you want me to go. There are things in your mind when you think about that prayer that you say, yeah, I'll do that, but not this. I would never do this. I would never give this. That's where you're at. I want to remind you again of what God has done for you. How much he loves you. I want you to remind you of how good God is. That he asks you anything to do. He leads you in any direction. It is for his glory and for your good. No matter how difficult it is. So our first thing that Paul tells us to do in light of the gospel, in light of what he has done, is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Second thing that we are to do to live the faithful Christian life is to not conform to the world around us. So do not be conformed to, the, to this world. Paul is writing to a church right that's in Rome, one of the greatest cities that's ever existed, one of the greatest military powers, economic powers, but also cultural powers that have ever existed on the face of the earth are headquartered here in Rome. And so the church in Rome is facing unbelievable pressure from the city around them. They know that as followers of Jesus, God has called them to live a certain way and that the way that many of the Romans, or the way the Romans live is completely different. And because of that, Romans around them are putting pressure on them. They're putting pressure on them to do things they know are sinful. And the church's refusal to conform to the image that Rome wants to make them into leads to heartache and pain and suffering. (coughs) So Paul is telling them, look, I know that you're feeling this pressure to conform, but don't do it. Don't let the world conform you into the image it wants you to be in. Rather, you're to conform to the image of God that we see in Jesus Christ. Be conformed to Jesus and not the world. Now, obviously, we live in a, a different, different time in history, a different place in the roles, but we also face pressure every day to conform to the world around us. It is non-stop. There is no escaping it. It is constant. We are being pressured mentally to conform to the world around us, emotionally. And historically, naturally, a lot, some of this pressure can come from family. It can come from friends. But really, most of the pressure that we are facing today is coming from media. Most of the pressure that we are facing as far as it is to conform to the world around us is coming from media, social media, cable news, movies, television, 
we are constantly being bombarded by information that's trying to conform us into an image. We have to recognize, as Paul Bird says, that we are given information, not, Michael Bird, sorry, we're, we're given information not simply to inform us about something, but to persuade us into thinking about something in a certain way. We have to recognize that as we receive information all around us constantly, no matter where we're at, that the point of this information is not simply to inform our brain, but it's to get us to think a certain way. It's to get us to conform to an image. And for most places, the reason what it's trying to conform us into is into consumers so that we buy what they're selling or we keep watching what's on television. And we're constantly under this pressure to conform our way of thinking and our way of living to the world around us. So we need to recognize this. It's not just through social media or shows or movies, but it's also we have to recognize in advertisements, right? This is something that's been historically true. Advertisers are trying to sell you something. They're trying to get you to think that you need something, that you need to live a certain way and have a certain thing in order to conform to the world around you, to be acceptable, to be happy. And this follows around everywhere, on our televisions and on our phones. So how do we resist this temptation to conform? We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be vigilant of what we are listening to, what we are watching, the books we are reading, things we're reading on Facebook, YouTube videos, all the things that we take in, we need to be vigilant. We need to be watching what is happening and be observing, saying, okay, it's saying this, but why is it saying that? We need to be aware that we are, the world is trying to conform us, that the information we're taking in is not neutral, it's not innocent, it has a meaning and a purpose behind it. And it is not to conform us, in most cases, unless it's from a follower of Jesus, into the image of Jesus. We can't just take things as they are. We have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant for our kids, parents. We have to be aware of what our kids are bringing into their brains, what they're bringing into their hearts. We have to be aware of the things they're watching on television and the effect and what it's actually trying to teach our kids and trying to mold our kids, the things they're looking at on social media. The effect of social media on young people is devastating. You look at Christian studies and non-Christian studies, it is absolutely devastating. We have to be aware of this. And I'm, I'm saying this, parents, I know, grandparents, I know that there's like this extreme weight that falls on you. You just say, Lee, how do I do that? How do I be vigilant for my child? I'm not with them at school. I'm not with them all the time. I'm not with them when they're at their friend's house. How can I be vigilant about what they're taking in all the time? I know the extreme pressure that feels. And brothers and sisters, it's real. And as culture becomes more and more secular, it's just going to grow and grow and grow. My advice to you is, is do the best you can, but also Trust the fact that God loves your kids more than you do. That if your child is a follower of Jesus, that that the Holy Spirit is with them as they go. And as your child is not a follower of Jesus, be praying that God will protect their hearts and minds. Remind yourself again and again, this is what we have to do constantly, is remind ourselves, God loves my kids more than I do. I know it's a lot, but we have to be vigilant. 
And, one, and because it's a lot, we need to be visual. We have to do this together. Parents, we got to come together to figure out how to help our children walk through this. Adults, we have to walk through this together to be able to identify where we're, our lives are being conformed to the image that we see on television, or we see on media. So guys, men, as you see a brother in Christ being conformed, his life's being changed by some, a, turning away from Christ, being conformed to an image that's not of Christ. So we see this happening because of something they're taking in. We need to step up and say, hey, brother, I see this coming into you. Maybe this is something you need to cut out of your life. We need to have that kind of community. Women, you need to be that for each other. When you see that a, a sister is looking at things on Instagram and believing that like this picture of what she sees on Instagram is what the happy married life looks like, the happy woman's life looks like, and it's not the image that Christ gets, the image that we get in the world, we need to, you need to step up together and say, hey, remember this, that this is what true joy is. This is what, what life is supposed to look like, not what you see on Instagram. We have to do this together. We're all constantly under this pressure to conform to the world, but we can't fight that conformity if we're doing it alone. We have to do it together. We need to be vigilant. We need to do, live life in community, and we need to fill our minds with truth. Fill our minds with the word of God, which is what Paul is going to get to next, where he says this third thing. We must get our minds aligned with God's purposes and plans, his will. And this happens by transformation through the renewal of our mind. It says there in verse 2, do not, it says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So to live the faithful Christian life, we need to be transformed. Transformation is a fundamental reno- renovation of a person at the deepest level of his or her desires, intellect, and will. We need to be transformed at the deepest part of who we are. We need to be changed for going to live the faithful Christian life. You remember back in Romans chapter 1, Paul describes where we are in our sin. He says that our minds are, are, are slaves to futile thinking, that we cannot think correctly, that we cannot choose God to follow after him because, our, because of sin. And while our salvation, the Spirit, sets us free from sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. It doesn't mean that our battle with sin and with the sin in our mind ends. We are constantly fighting that battle to have our minds renewed so that we can be transformed. So how are we to do this? How do we have our minds renewed so that we are transformed? We do this through the Word of God through reading God's word, through hearing God's word preached, through listening to preachers that around by reading good books, but most of all through reading God's word. God's word is powerful. It's not just a book. It's a book that God has inspired and God uses as a tool, as a means to change us. So soak it into your life. Soak it into you and your mind will be renewed. Even when you get up in the morning and you're, you're in the routine of reading your Bible, and maybe you read it, and you're like, you know what, God, I really didn't get anything from it. I believe with all my heart, even with you reading God, opening up God's Word and reading it, that God is going to use that in you to renew you, and leads the, that renewal leads to transformation. So keep reading it. Let it soak deep into you. 
Our minds are renewed through prayer, through laying our lives before God, through asking him what we are to do. To be reminding, what we're doing in prayer is reminding ourselves that I am not the king of the universe. God, you're the king of the universe. So please, help me. Help me to be who you've made me to be. I said a minute ago, this renewal happens through reading great books from brothers and sisters in Christ. It happens through living life in community. And as we do these things, God's Spirit renews our minds so that we are changed. As we are changed, we're to know, we know what we're to do. What is good, what is right, and what is best. What I fear, brothers and sisters, is I fear that many of us never get to experience the true transformation and the renewal of our minds that Paul is talking about here. The reason that I think, one of the reasons I think this is not happening for many of us is because our minds are so busy and we are so distracted that even if we sit down to read our Bibles and pray, we can't focus for more than a few seconds. We don't see the great, the full benefits of what Paul is talking about here because we are so busy and we are so distracted. And I think this is one of the great hindrances to the Christian spiritual life in our age, busyness and distraction. Why is this happening? Because we've been more conformed to the world around us than being conformed to Jesus. We live in a culture that worships busyness. And we have bought into it. We believe that if we're not busy, then we lose our value. We lose our purpose. Not only do we place that on ourselves, but we place that on our kids. That if our kids are not unbelievably busy, then they're missing out. Now I know that's a real pressure, guys. Like as a parent, there's real pressure when you hear a family and all the things that their kids are involved in, you think, I need to do that, or I'm not loving my kid well. No, brother and sister, when you keep your kids super, super busy all the time, where they neglect the things, of, they don't have time for the things of God, what you're doing is teaching your child to worship busyness just like everyone else. When you keep your life so busy and jam-packed full of stuff, you're buying into this lie, again, that your busyness is what gives you value. That's why when someone asks you how you're doing, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is busy. It's because you know when you say busy, you're giving yourself value. You're saying you're important, that you're doing things. And brothers and sisters, I know that sometimes life is busy. Yes, that's okay. But we cannot worship this busyness. We have to find space for the God who saves us. So busyness. The second thing I said is distraction. We are so distracted that our minds cannot concentrate. And a lot of this is the result, again, not meaning to beat up screens, but it's screens. I have an iPhone. I have an iPad in front of me right now. I know, like, we have these as a part of our life. They're not bad things in and of themselves. But if we are not careful in how we use them, they affect our minds, our bodies, our emotions. And that affects our walk with Jesus. Researchers recently found that the average attention span for a human is now eight seconds. 
Just for a little context, the average attention for a goldfish is nine seconds. We have a problem. We check our phones constantly, and it's affecting our ability to pay attention. A recent Business Insider study found that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. By the way, there are 1,440 minutes in a day. That means that we are touching our phones more than two times a minute. Remember, we sleep a little bit. And if you're here today and you're under 41, the number of times you touch your iPhone a day is double that. It is twice the average, which means that you are touching your phone more than 5,000 times a day. And sisters, how can our minds work properly if we're so distracted by the things around us? I know some of our work is on our phone. I understand that. But we need to recognize that this is having an effect on us. And if you're here and you're like, that's why I don't have a cell phone. I don't ever use it. Maybe you're you know, of an older generation. I want you to know it's not just phones, but it's also our television. People 65 and older watch an average of seven hours of television a day more than any other group of people. So our screens, whether they're our phones or our computers or our televisions, they're having an effect on our brain. We're so distracted. Because even with television, they have to keep changing things in order to keep our attention because our attention pan is so short. And it's affecting our spiritual life so that our minds cannot be renewed because we're not able to open our hearts and minds to the things of God. So if this is the life that we're living, This is how our brains are being trained throughout our day. It makes walking with Jesus very difficult, and it means that we need to change. We can't expect a Sunday morning worship service or just a morning time in the Bible to be enough if we keep our minds so distracted and we're so busy during our day. Those are good things, but we don't have the space for them to have the full effect. So what do we do? What do we do? What I found and I think is helpful in this, in this way of life, is Sabbath rest. So I come here this morning, guys, talking about the the dangers and, and the hardships of phones and screens because I'm one who struggles with it. I'm one of the ones who touches their screen, who's distracted by it constantly. It is a battle in my life. And the only help that I have found, because my will my willpower my is not strong enough is to set aside time for Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest has given me and my family space to be renewed. So what do I mean by Sabbath rest? It means setting aside time every week as time for rest and worship. Does that mean we have to go back and follow the Jewish law? No. Many Christians would call this uh, some kind of practice of the Lord's Day. But it means being specific, intentional, and setting aside time, talking with your spouse, talking with your kids, saying this is Sabbath time. This is a time to rest and to worship. And brothers and sisters, we need this time if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus. And what do I mean by rest? I mean not working. Taking a day, taking half a day, and saying I am not going to work today. 
I'm going to put away work email. I'm not going to answer phone calls. I am not going to work today. I am going to rest. And I know what you're thinking, but Lee, I, I can't do that. Yes, I know. It, it's going to mean that you have to work more the other days of the week. I know. But we need this. You need this. Your family needs this time of rest. For many of us, it's going to mean putting away our phones and screens, not just from work, but from our life in general, because our minds can't rest with these things on and going around us. It means taking this time just to be. It doesn't mean you have to go sit on your couch and veg out all day. But it means doing things that bring you rest. If you have a garden, it means taking time and going and gardening. If you have a boat, it is something that brings you rest and not stress, which would be surprising. You go, and you go out, and you rest. Go fishing with your family. Do things that bring you rest during this day. You can do that. You have the freedom to do that. In fact, if you look at the Bible, starting in Genesis chapter 2, it looks like that God wants this to be a normal rhythm in the human life. And so if we want to live not only a Christian life following after Jesus, but a healthy human life, we need rest. We need this in our lives. It also means just rest means worship. Now that's definitely reading the Bible. It means singing to him. It could be if Sunday is your Sabbath, gathering here on Sunday would be part of that. But worship is far more than just what we do on Sunday morning. Worship is a life lived for God. It's enjoying the things that God has given us and giving him glory. So eat good food. Say, hey, we're going to have this day of rest, and we're just going to eat really good food. Bacon costs $100 a pound, but on Sabbath, we're going to have bacon for breakfast. For our family, we love coffee, and so we buy expensive coffee, and we save it for Sabbath. And I get up in the morning, and I make me and my wife that kind of coffee on our Sabbath morning, and it's good. But not only is it good, but it reminds me of the rest that I have in Jesus and the goodness and the sweetness of Jesus. So eat good food, play outside, take a nap, play with your kids, worship, enjoy the good gifts that God has given you on this day. Rest and worship. And I believe with all of my heart and our culture and the world that we're living in, we're always on. This is the, one of the only ways that we can truly have, have space to have our minds renewed. This is what God calls us to do. We need to be our minds renewed so that we will be transformed, so that we will be the people that God saved us to be. Paul, to the church in Rome, Paul is appealing to them. He's urging them to be motivated by the gospel, to live a faithful life in gratitude for what God has done for him. Present, to lay their bodies down, their lives at his feet, to fight conformity to the world around them, to be transformed. And that is what he's calling us to do. These are the guardrails. These are the realm in which we are to live the Christian life. This is what it looks like to live the faithful Christian life. This is how we are a light to the world around us. It's through living this kind of way. Because brothers and sisters, if we live this way, we're going to stick out. We're going to stick out. We're going to stick out for God's glory. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know there is 
forgiveness. There's rest. There's joy in Jesus. Jesus has done everything necessary to forgive you of your sins, to set you free from the shame that you feel from past sins. Or that he can give you rest. Rest in his work, that he did everything that was necessary. Rest in knowing that you don't have to be good enough to be accepted and loved. That he loves you as you are. He just bids you to come to him. Brothers and sisters, as we live this life, we seek to bring people to Jesus. We seek to see our cities affected by the gospel. We must boldly proclaim the gospel. We must also daily seek to faithfully follow Jesus. That's my appeal to you this morning. Go into this new week. Go into this afternoon. Seek the Lord to faithfully follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to gather together and sit under your word. God, we have so many things in our hearts and minds, so many struggles in all of our lives, Lord. For many of us, it's a, it's a struggle and a fight to follow after you, God. But if that's where many of us are at, I pray that you remind us the goodness of the, goodness of the gospel. And let us seek to live a life of obedience and gratitude, in response of gratitude to what you've done for us. And I pray that you would use faith, that you would make faith family, God group of people, community of people that are seeking to faithfully follow you together. The people of Spanish Fort, the people of Baldwin County see the goodness of God and the goodness of the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, amen. Let's take a few minutes of response. I'd like to welcome you if you would like to come down front. Um, I'm here to pray for you, uh, to help talk through anything. And uh, if also you have been considering thinking of joining Faith Family, this is the time if you want to come down, talk to me a bit. And I uh, just want to open up this complete, I mean, you're, you're welcome to respond where you're at or come down. And so...